Well, hope everybody had a good lunch and uh, enjoyed the fellowship and uh, lost track of time down there. I was fellowshipping so much. So, uh, but we'll be brief this afternoon and uh, be out of here at least by four or five o'clock, I would imagine. So let's take our songbooks, number 264. Number 264, I Come to the Garden Alone. We'll sing all three verses. And for sake of time, we'll probably just sing the one song today and uh, then get into our message this afternoon. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear Falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever known. He speaks and the sound of His voice is so sweet. The birds hush their singing. And the melody that He gave to me within my heart And He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I'd stay in the garden with Him, Though the night around me be falling, but He bids me go through a voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. And He walks with me and He talks with me. And He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Amen. Oh my, well, try to... Try to preach after eating that that uh, peach cobbler. Wow, Miss Linda, that is that is some good stuff, Brother Harold. I tried to give him some. He said, "No, I'm losing some weight." So well, I am too, but they keep giving me this stuff. I can't deny. I, mean, I can't turn it down. I mean, I'm in a I'm a pastor. I don't want to offend people by saying, "Oh, that's the, that's my excuse," and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> so don't stop bringing it, ladies. It's been wonderful. I'll tell you, uh, I've enjoyed being back to some some semblance of normality and having our time of fellowship. I missed that when we weren't able to do it. And uh, not only do I enjoy the food, the food is fantastic, but you know the fellowship has been much sweeter. 
and uh, I, I enjoy that even more so than the food, and uh, thank the Lord for that. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, this afternoon, turn to Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1. I want to deal with the topic that uh, uh, has recently come to my heart and my mind uh, through some circumstances. It's not the first time I've had to deal with the issue, but maybe something that will be a help to you. And uh, that is the issue there. Sometimes you'll come across some folks that will believe that in order for you to be saved, you have to be uh, saved and baptized. In other words, they believe that baptism is part of the issue of salvation. And so I want to take a look at some passages of Scripture. I'm not going to exhaust the topic, I don't believe, at all today. But perhaps give some things that if you come across someone like that, and there are a lot of folks out there that do believe this, um, that you'll be able to show them from Scripture and um, at least be able to understand the, the arguments um, a little bit better and uh, perhaps be able to give a, a good defense of uh, salvation by faith alone. And, uh, you know, we can uh, we can discuss things about it not being by works, and I've heard... Uh, just recently, some arguments that are given in that baptism, they say, is not a work, uh, that it's just part of the salvation experience. Um, but uh, we want to try to look at Scripture and see if there's some other things that help to support uh, the, the truth of the doctrine that we believe, which is salvation by faith alone, plus nothing, minus nothing. And uh, so we certainly don't need more Scripture to support our position but perhaps to refute the position of baptism also. And uh, so we want to try to help with those. We'll look at several passages, and certainly feel free to take notes. You're not going to bother me if your head's down taking some notes, because I know it's hard to remember a lot of these things, and you're more than welcome to do that. We're also streaming today, and uh, so Lord willing, we'll have that uh, on uh, Facebook as well. So if you need to go back to it or sermon.net, you can go back and uh, take care of that. I already started the stream, so I know it's working. So we should be good to go. All right. So, um, all right. Romans chapter number one. And uh, let me just give you a little bit of background. Uh, Acts chapter two and verse number 38, I think it is, is one of the key verses that a lot of folks use um, where Peter's speaking and he says you need to repent and be baptized uh, for the remission of sins and uh, the gift of the Holy, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and so they use that a lot of times. And there's. Um, a lot of things that could be said about that verse, in particular the word, the usage of the word for, uh, I think certainly comes into play in that particular uh, instance. Um, just, just another uh, idea out there is even the structure of the way that it's written oftentimes, uh, I think, uh, lends itself to uh, showing again that uh, the baptism is not... Um, the uh, the key thing as far as salvation is concerned, um, but uh, ties itself more to um, the Holy Spirit being able to be used in your life more at that point. That's kind of the place of spiritual growth and uh, where the unction or the uh, enduing of the Holy Ghost can rest upon us at that point. doesn't mean that we don't have the indwelling before that. We do. Uh, I certainly believe that. Uh, and uh, so uh, there's a lot of arguments to be made on that. There's a lot of defenses that are given to that. So uh, we're not going to look specifically at that scripture today because I believe there's some other things that um, can be taught from scripture in this matter. And we're going to look at them from those perspectives. Um, again, the Bible ought to agree with itself. And so if it says something that we 
it seems to say here, and we our mind kind of thinks that that's what it's meaning, but then it disagrees with some other area of Scripture, then our interpretation, our thought of the original truth is, is not correct. Because the Bible will not contradict itself. It will constantly support itself and uh, complement itself and bring broader and greater understanding. So uh, I want us to look at what it is that the Bible specifically talks about regarding salvation that saves us. And so we're going to look at that first. Look with me in Romans chapter number 1. And uh, just before we begin, um, normally I read a passage and then pray, but let's go ahead and pray before we begin so we can jump right into it and uh, move on. Father, we do pray that you'll bless the study this afternoon that we take and the time that we spend on this topic. And while time would fail us to exhaust the study, certainly, I pray that there will be some uh, scripture and some truth that will guide us, that will help us to understand uh, this particular issue, uh, to be able to be a help uh, to other folks that perhaps are in error or perhaps uh, believe that uh, it requires baptism in order to be saved. And I pray that you'd help us in this, give us your Holy Spirit's guidance and illumination in Scripture. May we not uh, uh, change or destroy or misinterpret your word. But, Father, may we, may we truly understand it and rightly divide it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Paul begins in Romans, chapter number 1, verse number 16. A very familiar passage of Scripture. He says this, For I am not ashamed of the... Now, what's the next word here? Or the next three words, even. Gospel of Christ, okay? So, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? Power of God unto what? Do we see the word baptism anywhere in there? No, we find the word, or the phrase, the gospel of Christ. So Paul is of the opinion, and, and Paul certainly is uh, one that writes probably more about salvation than any other writer in the New Testament Scriptures. Um, Paul writes about this fact that the power that brings us salvation is the gospel of Christ, not in the baptism and gospel of Christ. And so again, you would think that if baptism is a... A requisite or a requirement for salvation, that Paul would be very clear. And understand this, Paul was uh, a well, well-educated fellow. He was uh, trained at the feet of Gamaliel, who was probably one of the greatest teachers of that day, probably one of the most brilliant minds. And uh, Paul, if you read his writings, is masterful at making a point, laying out the evidence, and then drawing an unimpeachable conclusion to the matter. And uh, very well educated. If Paul could have been a lawyer today, uh, he would have been almost unbeatable. I mean, he just lays out such truth that when you get to the conclusion, there is no room for uh, saying, well, it might be that or it might be this. He, he br- basically brings it all home. He's very specific. He's very thorough. And that, that's very important for us to understand when we understand who's writing this particular passage certainly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But Paul, who is so meticulous in every other area of truth, if if we were to leave out baptism, and that was a required part of salvation, uh, then he would be remiss in every other truth he presented. Um, He certainly knew how to present an issue. And when he's dealing here with salvation, he talks about it that it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that what? Believeth and is baptized? No, no, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Again, Paul being the writer here, 
very, very meticulous in stating here is what it takes to be saved. Plus nothing, minus nothing. He's very, very thorough on this matter. Now, let's see what he says here uh, about the... He's going to take it from an opposite direction. He's going to say, okay, this is what it takes to be saved, and we find that in Romans chapter 1. Now we're going to take a look. Uh, let's, let's look at one other thing before we get here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And again, I want to try to lay this out in a fairly clear and concise way so we don't, we don't have to confuse the issue. So Paul addresses this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse number 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherewith ye stand, by which also ye are what? So what is it that saved them? The gospel. Okay? The gospel that he preached unto them, by which ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have what? What's the next word here? Believed in vain. So if you believe the gospel, the Bible says that that's what saves you. I, for I delivered unto you, first of all, in case, in case they come back and say, well, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection, and therefore baptism, since it pictures the death, burial, and resurrection, is, is part of the gospel. Notice what he says the gospel is specifically. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So again, the, the, uh, the gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not the baptism. He doesn't talk about the baptism of Jesus Christ being uh, part of the gospel. It is just the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Now, again, uh, he states that the gospel is what saves us. Now let's look at what he says it causes a person to be lost. Okay, so let's look at it from a backdoor approach, if you will. Look with me in Second Thessalonians chapter number 1. Second Thessalonians chapter number 1. And wrong Thessalonians. I was like that. There we go. All right. First Thess- uh, Second Thessalonians uh, chapter number 1. Now let's look at verse number 8. Uh, let's back up uh, verse number 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that what? Know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are those which are lost. Again, no mention of baptism, no mention of... It's just simply a rejection of the gospel. The rejection of the gospel. Not the rejection of the gospel and not being baptized. Simply the rejection of the gospel. Again, Paul refers to those as the ones that God will take vengeance on, the ones that are lost. Look with me again in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Again, a lot of scriptures, so feel free to write these down. First Corinthians chapter number one. And um, Paul, who his whole purpose in preaching the gospel, uh, and even he said it in his own words, he, he looked over Israel one day and he said, I wish myself that I could be accursed 
that they might be saved. He, he, his desire, his heart's desire, what he loved with all of his heart was to see people come to trust Christ as their Savior, to put their faith in Him, to believe in the Gospel. And this is his heart's desire. He goes all over the world, even into the Gentile nations and Macedonia and uh, Asia and all of these areas, uh, starting churches and seeing people get saved. And he would come into a place, he would lead people to Christ, and uh, then begin a church and establish it and then move on and do it again somewhere else. Notice what he says, and this was what he did. In uh, chapter number 1, and let's look in verse number 14. I thank God, now he's speaking here to the church at Corinth. He said, I thank God that I baptized how many of them? None of you. Well, wait a minute. If Paul's heart and desire was that men would be saved, don't you think that when he taught them the gospel, if baptism was required, don't you think he'd be baptizing every one of them he could find? Don't you think he'd be saying, listen, I'm going to put up a sign down here by the river and I want all you all to come down and let's get baptized so we can get this matter of salvation settled. By the way, by, by introducing baptismal regeneration, we begin a downward spiral in all other areas of doctrine. Now we introduce issues like, like infant baptism. Now we begin to say, okay, we want people baptized at the earliest age possible so that if they die young, they're going to heaven. Now we start putting an age limit on it and saying, okay, here's where you have to be saved by it. And while we believe that there is an age of understanding where you have to reach an understanding where uh, you are innocent before, before that time, uh, and after that time that you are uh, then held liable for that sin and, and responsible for that sin, by doing baptismal regeneration, it's too easy to say, okay, up to a particular age, in a specific age, you're innocent, and then after that you have to be baptized. By the way, that's where, that's where infant baptism came from originally when a doctrinal error began to creep into the early church. And they started with baptismal regeneration was the first error in their doctrine that led them later on to um, the issue of infant baptism. By the way, let me just say this. If you ever take time to read Fox's Book of Martyrs, um, or there's a few other books out there that are smaller, The Trail of Blood is kind of a condensed version uh, of Fox's Book of Martyrs, you'll find that the vast majority, if you, if you come and it, many of them were told to recant Christ or recant, recant Scripture, if you'll study the specific doctrine that most of them were martyred for, there were more people martyred for the rejection of infant baptism than any other single doctrine. It became a huge issue. And so if Paul, is, is his heartbeat, his heart's desire, this is what he wants, is to reach people with the gospel that they might be saved, then why in the world would Paul say, I'm glad, I'm thankful to God that I baptized none of you? Why would he give God thanks for that if baptism was required for salvation? He says, but uh, Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say, I had baptized in my own name. So again, baptism here not showing as a part of uh, uh, being saved, but certainly Paul had reached the folks in Corinth and had seen them saved. Um, let's turn to, uh, uh, let's go down to verse number uh, 17, just a little bit, a few verses down. Notice this, verse number 17. For Christ sent me. Now notice this is what God told Paul to do. 
For Christ sent me not to what? <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute. Time out, Paul. God sent Paul not to baptize? What did He send him for? But to preach the gospel. There's a distinction between baptism and the gospel. Lest someone say, well, the baptism is the gospel. The baptism, since it represents the death, burial, and resurrection, it is the gospel. Paul here makes a distinction. That Christ did send him to preach the gospel, but Christ did not send him to baptize. If they were one and the same, God would not send him for one and not the other. They would have to be together. Very, very important that you understand that truth. All right, uh, moving on. Let's look. And again, I know most of our people here don't have a problem with that. In fact, probably all of you. But we all come across people that ask this. And oftentimes we're not prepared. How do we answer that? How do we deal with these things? All right, let's look at uh, Luke 23. Uh, let's look at Luke 23. Again, this is one that, um, again, they could, they could make a comment or two about. But again, it is an interesting point to me. Luke chapter number 23, and let's look in verse number 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now he's speaking here to the thief on the cross. I have used this passage before to speak to folks that believe in baptismal regeneration. And their refute to this is, Yes, but that was still Old Testament because Christ had not yet died. And technically, yes, the veil of the temple had not yet been rent in twain. Uh, the blood of Christ had not yet been sprinkled on the mercy seat. And yes, that is the case. However, in order to do that, you have to believe that men were saved a different way in the Old Testament than they were in the New Testament. And they were saved by faith in the Old Testament, just like we are today in the New Testament. Um, very important that we understand this. And so, again, no mention of baptism. Um, Let's look at uh, Acts chapter number 10. Acts chapter 10. Now, this will, this will take us beyond uh, Calvary. And so this will not be under Old Testament, um, even if it's just by a few hours, uh, as in the thief on the cross. But let's take a look at Acts chapter number 10. And dealing with Cornelius. Acts chapter number 10. And uh, let's look in Acts 10 and verse number 40. Let's back up verse number 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the... Wait a minute. If baptism is required for salvation and the Holy Ghost cannot be received until baptism, how can these be already having received the Holy Ghost and yet had not yet been baptized? He says that, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? So the Holy Ghost has already indwelt them. Salvation has already taken place. And Peter's asking, can we forbid water of them? 
What was he saying? Can we not baptize them? But wait a minute, they're already saved, aren't they? They already have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost upon them, in them. All right, let's look in, um, uh, let's see here. Let's go to uh, John chapter number 14, and this one goes in tandem with what we just looked at, that they had received the Holy Ghost and yet had not been baptized yet. Go to John chapter number 14, and this will kind of solidify this argument for him. John chapter number 14 and verse number 17. I'm going to back up to verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Now he's speaking here to the disciples. That he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit, capital S, of truth, whom the world, what? Cannot receive. You can't receive the Holy Spirit if you're unsaved. The only people that can receive the Holy Spirit are those that are saved. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Now, we take that with what we just read in Acts chapter number 10. And they could not have been unsaved if they had already received the Holy Spirit. They must have been saved. Or else John is not accurate. They had to have been saved, and yet they were not baptized. Everybody see that? Again, so when you, when you find a passage of Scripture and you think it says one thing, like Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, but there are other passages of Scripture that are rejecting that or saying things beyond that, then our understanding of Acts 2.38 must be wrong, if that's the case. Because the Bible cannot refute itself. It cannot go against itself. All right, let's look at a couple more, and I think we've got time for it. Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9. Now, we're going to deal with Paul's uh, conversion, Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus here, uh, and look at a couple things regarding that I think are very uh, critical. Acts chapter number 9 and verse number 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus. Now, this is, I think, an incredible uh, a thought that is, is interesting to me. Even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me. Now, Saul had the Lord Jesus Christ himself appear to him. Saul himself, in speaking of the matter, when he responded to Christ, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? When Ananias greets him in chapter number 17, he refers to him as brother, capital B, brother Saul. Again, the fact that Saul, at this point, had already been saved. And then he says, uh, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, again, this is not the indwelling. This is the filling of the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. But prior to baptism, he had already been saved, had had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, 
and had yet not received the enduing or the resting or the filling of the Holy Spirit upon him. Do you understand the difference here? Okay. That helps us with Acts chapter 2, verse number 38. So let's go back and look at Acts 2.38 for a moment. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Again, this is something that is dealing with the indoing, not the indwelling. The remission of sins brings the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. The receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost is something that came after the matter. This was something that was the filling or the undoing, the resting upon, just as it was in Acts chapter number 9. Paul had already had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and was being endued with the Holy Spirit upon baptism. All right, now let's look at, uh, let's see here. Let's go to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter number 26. Now, why, why are we saying then that because Christ appeared to Paul, that we're making that jump in logic that that means he was already saved? Okay, bear with me. Let's look at a couple of scriptures, and I think we'll see this in Scripture, all right? Acts chapter number 26, and let's look in verse number 16. But rise and stand upon thy feet. Notice what he says here. And this is speaking of uh, the... Uh, uh, a uh, time when uh, uh, the, the road to Damascus account. Okay, so Paul's telling the story uh, to King Agrippa. But rise and stand upon thy feet, and I have appeared. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. So <laughs> again, the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ to the apostle Paul. Paul specifically saw Christ. After his risen, uh, in his risen form, after he had risen from the dead, he personally saw Christ. Some people talk about whether or not Paul was a true apostle. One of the great requirements of an apostle is they had to see uh, Christ in his risen form after he had risen from the dead, which is why we do not have apostles today, by the way. Amen. And you can call yourself an apostle. That doesn't mean you are one, okay? Uh, just not, okay? So understand this. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, again, dealing with this appearing of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ to Paul. Um, he says in verse number 15, um, he says in verse number 4, And he was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren. Notice that, very important. At once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, this is Paul, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of Christ. Even though he felt like he was unworthy, he still was a chosen apostle by the Lord Jesus Christ. Very important that we understand this. And that he appeared to the brethren... Okay, keep that in mind. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 and verse number 1. 
Paul said, Am not I apostle, an apostle? Am not I free? Have not I seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? Very important, okay? So understand this. Paul says, I've seen him after he's been risen from the dead. That's what makes me an apostle. We just read uh, just a few verses ago that Christ made himself visible to Cephas and to the apostles and to uh, 500 brethren. Very important. Now let's look in Acts chapter number 10. This kind of draws the net, uh, if you will, on this particular truth of Scripture that oftentimes is overlooked. Acts chapter number 10, and uh, let's go to verse number 40. Acts chapter number 10, and verse number 40. Him God raised up the third day, and showed him openly. So who are we speaking of here? Who was raised on the third day? The Lord Jesus Christ. And God showed him openly. Notice what it says here. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. He was not seen. Are you ready for this? by unsaved people after his resurrection. That's why when I said that Paul saw him on the road to Damascus, he had to have been saved at that point. Had to. Either that or the Bible's wrong here. Okay? You say, do you have any more Scripture? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Yes, we do. All right. I'll give you this, our last one. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. <clears throat> now concerning, verse number 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. What did Paul say when he fell from his, uh, his uh, whatever he was riding, I guess, horse or donkey? What did he say when he fell on the road, uh, on the road to Damascus? Who art thou, Lord? What does it say here? Verse number 3. And no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Paul already had him at that point. The salvation had already taken place. Had there been baptism? No, not till Ananias came to him. But he was saved, wasn't he? He had the Holy Ghost. I hope this will help. Uh, it gives... Some scripture that's rather obscure that we don't always look to for these arguments. And uh, I think are irrefutable. Either that or one or the other verses of scripture have to be an error. And we know that that's not true. So they have to be in agreement. And so I hope that will help. Um, let's stand together and we'll be dismissed. Folks, I've had a wonderful day, blessed day today. Such a joy to see our folks back. And uh, just have enjoyed the fellowship, the singing, uh, the preaching, all of it. I've just enjoyed it all. And uh, thank you all for being here today. Let's bow our heads in prayer.
Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it in our hearts. Lord, may we not take things out of context. We certainly don't want to do that. We want to rightly divide and understand your word. Line upon line, precept upon precept. And Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding and illumination in our hearts by your Holy Spirit as we read its pages, as we study it, and help us to learn from it these things that so aptly go together and fit together like pieces of a puzzle. And Father, that we would understand these, these meteor matters, these deeper things. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit and your Word to guide and to direct us. Help us this week to walk in the Spirit and to be yielded to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.